Hi there, welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball for Monday, June 22nd, 2020. Here's Tristan H. Cockroft, singer of songs, slayer of myriad fantasy leagues, and boy, is that hair long. Kyle Soppy, expertly researchers and producers our show, and I'm merely Eric Carabell. They needed a host, and they probably still do. On today's show, well, I don't know, we're just going to kind of make it up as we go along, but since our pal and yours, ESPN senior writer Dave Schoenfield is here, let's talk about the article that he wrote today. Hello, Dave, how are you? Well, you guys are so bored, you've invited me back on the show yet again. <laughs> Unbelievable. We're well, just showing off our hair to you, nothing else. Come on. Dave, I was hoping that maybe you could describe to the listeners of our fine show, since we're on a squad cast and see each other, uh, what you think of our hair so far. Now, you, you cut your own hair, apparently, and you look like you normally do. Uh, but Tristan and I, you know, somebody on the softball field yesterday said I look like Oscar Gamble from the 70s. So I'd like to, your your point here on how we look on our golden locks. Well, you know, we had our little pre-show meeting, and I would say this again. Eric, you now look like the cool dad with the cool wavy hair. You don't care about anything. You're just going to live life at your own pace. Maybe I'll cut it this year, maybe 2021. <laughs> Tristan, he claims oh, his hair God. is long and unruly, though it looks kind of the same to me. I, maybe it's <laughs> well, just wait, more maybe of it. it is a little. Just more of it. Tristan might need a haircut a little oh, more. Oh, area. Hey, it that way. oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we, definitely, we definitely look different, okay? Mine is clearly a – I have a ton of hair. His, you're right. You can't really tell as much. Maybe because it's like – like morphing into his gigantic head somehow. I, I, I'm, I don't know. But maybe in the back there's a mullet, a Mitch Williams mullet. All right, let's talk about your article for today because there's lots of fun. And um, the premise of the article is that the Bill James old theory about uh, hitters in their age 27 peak season. Um, so you wrote the article, and I'll, I guess I'll ask you, and this may might be a little controversial, but do you actually believe in the age 27 peak season thing and what you what you wrote about the players? Yeah, I, I do. And, you know, the, the baseball sabermetrician, Tom Tango, he's done more recent research that seems to say this holds up. Now, that doesn't mean – and this is just position players. We're not going to talking about pitchers, just hitters. It doesn't mean every player has his best season at age 27 – but in general, more players are going to have their peak season at that age. Now, I kicked off the article pointing out three of last year's most surprising players, Jorge Soler, Hunter Dozier, Gio Ursula. They were all 27. I don't think that's necessarily just a coincidence, you know. So, yes, I believe in the age 27 thing as a broad, you know, understanding of baseball. Right, it's not going to go with every single player, and that's a fair notion there. And obviously pitchers are totally different because they always have their Tommy John surgeries. But Tristan, let's ask you, uh, when you do projections for fantasy and whatnot, uh, you do three-year averages a lot. You pay much more attention to that than I do. I, I, I look at a range of a, of a hitter's age more than I do just an age of 27. Uh, I'm wondering how you feel about that. I agree with you. I think it's a range. As a matter of fact, uh, it, Dave, it's a great, well-written column, and you put in the qualifiers that I think are uh, identifying this well. To me, it's ages 25 to 28. 
And you've mentioned even that there is a class of players who had a huge year at age 26. I, I think that it, it comes more with experience than it does with the ages. But if I'm going to target players in their prime, I'm going to target usually between ages 25 and 27. My numbers actually say 25 over the past decade have been the better breakthrough season. But 27 most conceivable, as you mentioned, Urshela and Solaire were great examples. So if a player hasn't done it by age 27 as the requisite experience, I do think we should lean on that group. Well, yeah, no, Tristan, yeah. I would generally agree. It does seem like the aging curve is trending downward a little bit. Um, one thing I did was I looked at the top 20 players, position players at each age. And this gets, you know, that doesn't seem like a lot, but that actually gets us to players who are like 1.5 war, 1.7. So it thins out pretty quickly. So last year, the best age group was actually age 26. Now that might be just a really talented group because the best group in 2018 was the same group when they were 25, to your point. But in general, it might be a an idea in fantasy if you're looking for some late round surprises, you know, look at age 27 and then I'd look at age 26 and age 25. I'm going to be honest with you on one thing with that is that there's been this wave this century of fantasy columns that identify only age 27. And there's a belief that that's the only time that players break through. So I only raise this as a be careful, fantasy managers. Yeah. It's not automatic. And you do raise that point. It's not an automatic thing. But if a player is going to break through, that's pretty much the time they're going to do it. Right. And I think the use of the word only is the problem there. Let's be more open-minded and say that we see things like this all the time. You know, Gio Urshela, perhaps he would have broken out a couple of years before with regular playing time. Solaire, I don't know if it's his age. I don't even know if that's really his age. You know, it's sometimes it's a little bit hard to tell with some of these players. Um, you know, what was Ken Griffey Jr.'s peak season, Dave? I mean, I think it was 26-27 when he hit the 50 home runs. Um, I know you watched that last night. I, I That was good. That was a good doc uh, on MLB Network about Ken Griffey Jr. And I got to be honest, I didn't know, I did not know that thing about the Yankees. Did you like that? That was the thing that I was like, holy, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So I did not watch it yet. I was watching the ESPYs, but I saw the Yankee part and he always talked about how he hated the Yankees because of the way his father was treated. But I had never heard that specific story. Um, so, you know, for that to come out, yeah, that was pretty revealing and doesn't say a lot about the George Steinbrenner, does it? No, and I can't say I'm totally surprised either, especially what's going on in the country today. Talk about the ESPYs a little bit and what, uh, anything baseball oriented that you thought was very interesting. Maybe, and maybe it's not for fantasy purposes, but obviously the Nelson Cruz thing was very emotional with him getting the award. Um, anything else that struck you for baseball purposes? Yeah, there wasn't a lot of baseball in it, but Nelson Cruz and we uh, we ran a story on the site about everything he's done um, back in his hometown in the Dominican. And, you know, you talk to, you know, other players and other baseball writers, and they'll all agree. I mean, one of the absolute, you know, best guys in the game, you know, that's one reason the Twins brought him in last year, <laughs> not just because he's still a great hitter, but he's just the ultimate teammate, clubhouse leader. That Those words kind of get probably overused, but in his case, um, they absolutely ring true, and he's, you know, put a lot of money and time and resources back home in the Dominican. So um, uh, that was a great honor for him. 
And hopefully he can straighten out Miguel Sano, his teammate, who you mentioned in the article. We're going to get to the players that you write about. But first, it's time for Tristan's trivia. Uh, trivia that Dave won't know, but Eric might. Or maybe it's the opposite. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Trivia. Trivia that neither of you will know. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm being uh, extra lazy and leaning on the fact yesterday was Father's Day. So it's Father's Day themed. Right. I'd, I would like you to name the active player whose father also played Major League Baseball who leads in home runs. Active home run leader among players whose fathers played Major League Baseball. Who has the most home runs? Oh, wow. Yep. Players' fathers. I should know played. that because I was just do. I just I wrote a little piece the other day and was doing research on fathers and sons. I will tell you that five players, five players whose fathers played Major League Baseball have a hundred plus career home runs. So who is at the top of this list? I'll let you think active. about that for a bit. Active Obviously, active is Ken Griffey Jr. would be the right. There's there's two players in history who have at least six hundred homers whose fathers played. Yeah, you mentioned Griffey, and then of course Barry Bonds. But we're going with the active player who's the leader on this list. Yeah, so like your point is it's not Vlad Jr. or Kevin Biggio because they haven't been in the majors long enough. Oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's a, a good, good time question. for father-son players. But this – yeah, we'll see if you remember this name. <laughs> it sounds like a tricky answer, doesn't it, Eric? Yeah, it is. I'm trying to think of who played – um, yeah, I am drawing Bellinger. a blank. I wonder if Bellinger is on that list. Like, he doesn't Cody, have fun. Cody Bellinger is fourth on the list with 111 home runs. Father Clay. Yeah, I'm trying to think of current major leaguers that we think about in fantasy. And I'm, I'm just going to look at Tristan's list of his rankings if I can find them somewhere. Right. <laughs> I'm not cheating like Eric. It's not D. Gordon. I know that. <laughs> I don't think it's cheating. I'm not, I'm not looking at the answer. I'm looking up Tristan's rankings to see who's a player. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, not, I, that's not cheating. I'm not even thinking. And you know what? Right now, i got to be honest, it's hard to even think about baseball with what's going on. So yes. I, I, I've lost track. I don't remember who's on any of my fantasy teams that I've drafted. Um, Sim only because we're actually still playing, but I know we're all having wars about what we're going to do in Sim next season, and and that's uncomfortable too. So let's get to um, the, some of the players you talk about because I do have a question here which might or may not be relevant. You talk about Gary Sanchez, and I wonder if the age 27 thing is relevant for catchers because to my knowledge, and I don't have any background on this, they develop their power late, but they also get injured late. So by age like 31, you know, Joe Maurer has to move to first base and stuff like that. So I am not a Gary Sanchez fantasy admirer. I never draft him on teams. I almost always either punt catching or do it late and take Yadier Molina in round 25 or something like that. But, Dave, you wrote about Sanchez. Did you think about the fact that maybe it's different for catchers? And do you really like Sanchez? Because to me, that's a 220 batting average waiting to happen, whether it's 60 games or 120. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And Tristan, you might have more research, you know, in the back of your mind on catchers. Certainly their aging curve is is not necessarily consistent with other players. That being said, I, I, I like Sanchez. You know, we talked to him for the piece and, you know, he talked about his big key is just wanting to stay healthy. He only played 186 games last year, 89 the year before. So in some part, for him, it would strictly just be about volume, you know, and he was pretty healthy in 2017, which has been his best year. But you give him 130 games, you know, maybe he DHs, you know, some. 
Um, why couldn't he hit 40 or 45 over a full season? We're not going to get that now. Um, you know, but yeah, the, the batting average, that's certainly the big issue with him. Yeah. And in general, I don't know if Tristan agrees with me when it comes to fading catchers and if in normal fantasy league, Tristan, you're a Yankee fan. What's your take on Gary Sanchez? There's health. So there's durability issues and there's also batting average issues to me. Once the injuries come into play, I worry about the player year over year. That's something that bothers me in Sanchez's case is that while he's probably approaching his career prime with the bat, I worry about what he's going to be able to do defensively. And then <laughs> the, the typical history of wearing down the catcher choice on players, what that's going to do for him. Um, pulling up quick numbers using a two-war threshold. Uh, the past five seasons, we had three 25-year-olds. We had uh, seven 26-year-olds. We had seven 27-year-olds. We had... Uh, eight 28 year olds and we had six 29 year olds so to this point yeah catcher could be the spot where these players develop later and the guy that i always go back to is yadier molina which is why i advise and, and eric you, you brought this up with the draft recently that we want to wait on catchers we don't want to build a keeper or dynasty league team around catchers that are young because it takes them a while to get there yadier molina he broke through in the year he turned 28 in june it was his age 27, 28 year. That was his first true offensive breakthrough year. So, yeah, it does tend to happen later. But he was a lot more durable than Sanchez is today. And, and shout out to Buster Posey, who finally hit a home run for me in my new Sim League on Dynasty League Baseball in game number 60. It took 60 games for Buster Posey to hit a home run for me oh. uh, on my my new league. And uh, But I won two out of three last night. Let's get to some other players. We, we we touched on Miguel Sano a little bit earlier. That's a major power hitter, major exit velocity, moving from third base to first base, which some people think helps offense. I'm not one of them. But you mentioned Max Kepler and Miguel Sano as guys who haven't really truly broken out yet, but at age 27, perhaps they could. I think those are both good names to talk about for breakout potential. Yeah, I mean, Kepler kind of had a breakout year last year. What, he hit 30-something home runs. Everybody on the Twins hit 30-something home runs. But remember his background growing up in Germany, he didn't play as much baseball as a traditional um, American teenager. So even though he's 27, you could argue he's sort of a couple years behind on a typical curve. Um, so, yeah, certainly a guy who I think has the ability to, to get better Again, I hate to keep saying this, but who knows how many games we'll play this year. But I think he's a guy that could age well at his age 28, 29, and 30 seasons. Pretty good athlete. Um, you know, he, he had a really good year last year. I'm, I'm a big believer in what the Twins are doing with James Rosen as their hitting coach. They did yeah. a great job of leaning towards power to embracing a lot of the analytics. I'm with you, Dave. I think that just, just the Twins, even more so than the age question, those guys are at the right time in their career to really step uh, step up and Kepler showed the hints. I want to see hints already shown, so I'm on board with that. What do we think is Miguel Sano's peak season offensively, and do we think that he'll reach it now? Now he doesn't have to worry about playing third base. He's a guy who should be hitting 40 home runs, but if I'm worried about the batting average for Gary Sanchez, you got to be worried about it for Sano too. I'll throw you a quick thing on that. Nelson Cruz's teammate. Think about where Cruz was in his career in the early days. He had the injury question. And now he's one of the more durable players in the game, and he's put up great power numbers. What if Sano does do something like this? What comparison can we possibly make between the two of them other than the teammates now? I mean, they're not – They I were both injury-prone players who showed untapped power early on in their career, and once they really got a committed role and they locked in and they, you know, they, 
I mean, he has to get durable all of a sudden like Cruz did. Are we ranking him properly at number 106 overall? You have him 106 overall. And if Sano has 40 home run upside, Chris Davis, the good one on Oakland, he we were ranking him in round six or seven. Why wouldn't we do that with Sano, Dave? Don't you think there's a similarity there between Chris Davis, who was batting 247 every year, and Sano, who could do that? Yeah, I mean, that. what did Sano hit last year? He hit, yeah, 247. Isn't that, that's a league average, right? What was the league average last year? 249? Is it that low already? Oh, my. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, 250. I mean, I'm with you, Eric. It's kind of pathetic. That's the league average, but that's, <laughs> you know, how good the pitching is now. Sano also hit 199 the year before. Um, so it, that's not a guarantee, 264 the year before. So we don't know what his, like, ability as a batting average guy is. It's not much higher than 247, if if anything, but – 34 home runs in 105 games. That's, you know, that's 50 homer potential if he uh, can stay healthy for 150 games. And he, he's capable of taking walks. He has played discipline. I just, I used to compare Miguel Sano and Michael Franco for coming up as rookies, putting up numbers as in their half rookie season that they, they've never been able to duplicate since. And obviously, I don't think they're the same now. Franco is barely in baseball. But I wonder if Sano is capable of doing what he did as a rookie when he was kind of new on the scene. And remember, I did interview him once. Were you there, Tristan, when I interviewed him yes, on the set? Yeah, I was. Yep. For, for TV, and like I didn't realize, like we just couldn't understand each other very well. So it was it was a difficult interview to do. And then we brought uh, we brought in another anchor who could understand who spoke Spanish, and he was much more comfortable talking. Then seemed like a nice fellow. Um, I don't know what he's getting into off the field, but I just want him to hit 40 home runs and hit 250, and then I would rank him in, like, round seven or eight and something like that. And, and, you know, the Twins already have Nelson Cruz as their designated hitter. I'm assuming, even though somebody backtracked on this last night, that if there is baseball forever, it's going to be a designated hitter in the National League. I don't understand why that would change in any kind of give and take. But Kyle Schwarber is the poster boy, Dave, for a National League hitter becoming a DH. No other team in the National League has such an obvious guy. I mean, you can make the case the Phillies have half a dozen DH types or the Padres with Josh Naylor. But to me, Kyle Schwarber has been begging to be a DH for years. Maybe that unlocks some potential there for him as well. Yeah, maybe. I'd be curious to get what you guys think about splits because in the second half last year, he hit 280, slug 631. Can he do that over a full year? You know, I mean, we don't – Theo Epstein in particular has always really believed in his hitting ability and he just hasn't been the the average hitter that I think they projected when he was first coming up. But can he do that over a full year, Tristan? Stop hyping my all-in mid-round pick this year. Which <laughs> Dave, to your point, if you break down those late-season splits versus righties and lefties, he showed considerable development against left-handed pitching to the point that the Cubs could actively lead him, uh, leave him in the lineup. And with the DH, they have incentive to do so because they can use their platoon mate in Albert Almora against lefties in the field, leave Schwarber in there. Schwarber and Sano are good picks, Dave. I I, I tend to I, I kind of like fade on batting average killers, but it's possible if these guys hit 250 that they're not killers at all. They're, they're league average. I just – man, anybody – like I am not drafting Joey Gallo on any teams because of the, the concern 
that he does so much damage to my batting average, but maybe that's not founded anymore, you know, Tristan. Like, if the league average is that low, maybe I should be thinking again about how that works. I don't know. You're right. Schwarber's a guy, especially with the DH, somebody to think about there. I, I've got to ask about this next guy here because – so in the same sim that I'm talking about with Posey, Reese Hoskins is batting 140, and I benched him for Neil Walker. So I, I have a Phillies just fully full-season full sim – and I'm not making the playoffs because my team ERA is almost six. The bullpen's atrocious. And at least there's Scott Kingery's on the team, hint, hint. But the point I want to make is Reese Hoskins is batting 140. And <laughs> I have—I don't think people realize when they're drafting him in their top 100 that he is a huge batting average risk. If you put up Sano versus Hoskins, by the way, why would Hoskins go four rounds ahead? He should not be. They should be viewed kind of similarly, right? Eric, I mean, you know him better than than we do. You watch him every day. I guess my question is, with the lively ball last year and in that park, how did he only hit 29 home runs? Or is it to the point where his really only skill is drawing walks, which is a nice skill to have more so in real life than fantasy. But I don't know if that skill is translating to him hitting for a higher average and more power. Well, part of the problem here, and you know this, Tristan, is he got hit on the hit on the hand by a pitched ball late July, early August, and from then on he wasn't the same, and he refused to sit down because the Phillies were, I guess, tangentially still in a pennant race at that point, and he just played through it. Now, as fantasy manager, maybe not everybody knew what was going on to drop Hoskins, but he was awful. He was under 200 batting average from that point on, so maybe if healthy, I just – you love when a guy has plate discipline, okay? He can walk 100 times, but you have to worry when a guy struggles so much against right-handed pitching. Tristan, you and I study these these um, splits, not just for fantasy, but also for simulation. If a right-handed batter can't hit right-handed pitching, he's going to simulate terribly. Hoskins and Bryce Harper are each hitting under 200 in a recent sim that I saw. So is what is does Hoskins settle in as a 250 hitter? We keep saying 250 for him and Schwarber and Sano. It's just... That's kind of like our, our average at this point. But that's like a peak, I think, for these guys. Yeah, so the issue in Sim is just that the number of left-handed pitchers in the league, there just isn't enough opportunity, and you're going to get killed by the number of righties just by the sheer volume aspect. The injuries were the reason I'm in on Hoskins. He was, as you said, awful for that final month and a half, batted 182, slug 364, 29% whiff rate. Um, but I wrote this in the Tristan's 20 because he was one of my picks. Since he debuted in the majors, August 20th, 2017, he has an 8.8% swinging strike and 20.6% chase rates. That swings and pitches out of the strike zone. And you know who those compare favorably to? Anthony Rendon. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're almost spot on to Anthony Rendon's during that time. <laughs> this guy knows the strike zone. They're, he should be doing better, is my I point. I don't doubt that. I just, as a Phillies fan, I don't see Anthony Rendon there. I'm hoping... I, I, I hope that this is what he does, but I mean, Dave, you don't think he's going to do it? Well, Rendon's does. not striking out 173 times. You know, that's the difference. But yeah, there's there's so many of these guys, and you know, the thing I worry about with the Hoskins and Sanos is with these strikeout rates. The Joey Gallows, if the ball gets a little less lively, and they're only hitting. 20 homers or 23 homers, their value is really going to plummet. You know, they have value with the ball flying over the fence, but 
that's sometimes that's where I worry about these one dimensional sluggers. And we obviously have so many of them in today's game. I'd argue in Hoskins case, the problem is not the swing and miss. It's that he hits the ball in the air all the time. And that kills yeah. your batting average. Uh, yeah, I would agree that that's an issue there. I'm hoping for the best out of him. I just, I'm concerned that, uh, he's, he's, you're right. He's going to be a, g- a guy who walks a hundred times a year and has a 370 on base. But for fantasy in our general five offensive categories, if he's only contributing in home runs and runs batted in, I guess runs scored to some degree, I think he's, he's being overdrafted, I guess is my point. I still think Bryce Harper can contribute 15 steals, bat 270. But if Hoskins is batting 220, 230, and he's not stealing any bases, that's that's going to be a major problem. Uh, later in your article, Dave, you write about some players that you didn't really uh, expound on too much, but some breakout candidates from the guys who really – like Kepler's already hit 30 home runs. Hoskins is kind of broken out. They haven't had their six or seven war seasons, but I'm interested in some of these other names and maybe somebody that you would like to talk a little bit more about. Brandon Nimmo, Jerks and Profar, you, write here, you mentioned here. Um, Conforto, J.D. Davis. The Mets have a bunch of these players who I guess fantasy managers may not be thinking about as actual breakout potential guys, Conforto being one of them. Yeah, this and Conforto, he's probably at his established level. Maybe there's a little more there. Nimmo's a guy I've always liked, although he's one of these you know guys that draws a lot of walks, probably needs to be platooned. So I don't know what his ultimate upside is in fantasy. Battled injuries last year. I I think he's, if we would have had a full season, would have been a great breakout candidate kind of guy. Profar, hard to read on him. I know he had some some bad luck last year on balls in play. Certainly, you know, former number one prospect in the game. And that's something to remember. Solaire, Solaire didn't come out of nowhere last year. He's obviously been a much hyped prospect. Hunter Dozier was a first round pick. So, when thinking about these breakout candidates, look at their pedigree. There's something Nimmo was a first-round pick. You know, that suggests a certain level of talent and if they can put it all together. Um, let me mention a couple names that you didn't and and tell me if there are possibilities here. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at their age, but not really. They're not 27 yet, but Nomar Mazzara, who has <laughs> kind of tortured us. <laughs> Is it going to take three more years for Nomar Mazzara to break out? Because nobody's going to be paying attention by that point. So he's a guy who you kind of feel like he's older, right? I mean, like he's already had four disappointing seasons. So it's like he just debuted so young. That I'm looking at like Tristan's rankings. And I'm trying to come up with somebody in their mid-20s who seems like a breakout guy that maybe nobody's thinking about. Like Austin Hayes of Baltimore. Jumps out to me again. He's not 27 yet. I'm trying to find somebody who's actually 27 that Dave did not mention here, and it's hard. It's hard to find these guys because it seems like they're playing a lot earlier. And you know, it's like I mean, Nico Goodrum's not going to break out. I mean, who's going <laughs> to who's re- Profar is 27 years old. The Padres are going to play him every day at second base. I would think that he's a a guy who could break out, but in San Diego, I I don't know. Michael Franco's twenty seven, Eric. <laughs> uh, I throw well, my know, hands at Michael Franco. You kid, but those two names are in make or break situations, and sometimes the motivation of that can couple with the prime age factor. And I mean, they're not going to be stars, but could they give you decent value for the price? I mean, I, I don't think hitting twenty seven years old is going to make Michael Franco stop. 
you know, swing and missing at, at off-speed stuff off the plate. I I mean, maybe – he obviously needed a change of scenery. There's something to be said about change of scenery. Like, Gio Urshela was a change of scenery guy, whatever it was not working in Cleveland. He goes to the Yankees. I guess you can credit their hitting coach or maybe just a different way of looking at things, but I guess you could say that about Mazzara and Franco. They're going to new places. Do we believe, as a group, that moving on can change a hitter's uh, luck, uh, you know, and, and success rate? I think that's more. It's usually that's something people say. <laughs> yes, exactly. You, know, you never know. If you connect with the right hitting coach. You know, they get you to buy in on a change, maybe. But look, these guys—they're all aware now about you know launch angle and you know trying to do this or that. But you know. Tristan, back me up here. My a guy like Mazzara, what is he? Twenty five, maybe twenty four. Yeah, he's got so much experience in the big leagues that I would not project a breakout. I know I studied this a few years ago, and aside from age, you also got to look at playing time. If you have four or five years in the majors as a regular, you're probably not going to get any better. Now we've seen it happen with the Justin Turners of the world. It can happen, but Mazzara, I, I'm not in on him. So I'll back you up on this one. I think he's got the requisite amount of experience and he's in a new situation in a ballpark that is very Homer friendly, which plays to his style. I'm not big on Mazzara this year, but I am going to give him one more opportunity considering that change. And when I first heard of this theory, it was not just age 27. It was three years of experience or age 27. And that was back in the 90s. And there are a lot of examples over the past quarter century plus that players who have that requisite amount of experience could break through. Well, I think, yeah, no, I'm not saying he can't. I think historically that was the way players improved. He came up in a certain age. You were good as a rookie. You got better. And then maybe by your third year, fourth year, you kind of peaked. But these guys are so advanced now. Their training, starting from, especially for these Latin kids when they're signing at 16, they've played so much baseball and they reach the majors at a young age a lot of them are already pretty polished, you know. Like, can Juan Soto get better? He doesn't have to get better. He's already a superstar. So I don't know if that traditional, even though I just wrote this article, I don't know if that traditional aging curve holds true like it did in the 90s. I want to ask you something as a follow-up to the column, because what's interesting is you, you talk a lot, a lot about what the lost season will do to this class. I am concerned about what a missed season could do for the overall aging curve. We talked before about the yeah. older players. We mentioned, does Nelson Cruz rebound quite the same at the latter end of the aging curve? But I hadn't really thought about it in terms of the prime years that are lost. Yeah, well, the older players, that's a really good question because if Nelson Cruz doesn't play baseball for a year, I think that would affect the older players much more than the younger players because you got to, it's that repetition and you lose it rapidly when you're older. So if you're not repeating that, that, you know, that skill and that activity, you can lose it in a hurry. Kristen, as the guy who does our rankings, you have Nelson Cruz right now as the number 55 player. If they don't play baseball this season and we shift to our podcast and writing about 2021, will you still have Nelson Cruz at number 55 or do you have to move him down because he loses – everybody gets older, but he's 40. I am going to move him down. I would probably drop him to 70 or 75, and what I would do is – 
watch him with scrutiny during spring training. And if there are really are no questions, I will rebound him back up to 55. I think there's going to be a lot of changes based on the early spring training. It's going to be the first time where watching the players closely has an impact on the rankings. And, and I made this point on a show, I don't know when, but why do we assume, okay, I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but why do we assume that Nelson Cruz losing a year is any worse than Glaber Torres losing a year? Do we know that the younger player is taking better care of himself? We don't. <laughs> In fact, I would argue that the older player is more motivated to take better care of himself. Obviously, skills decrease faster when you're 40 as opposed to 23, I, I'm, I'm told. But I, I don't want to presume that I would drop Nelson Cruz 25 spots in the rankings just because he's older than Glaber Torres. I, we can't drop everybody, but Dave, break the tie. Where, would, where do you stand on <laughs> well, this? Would you I would drop- say Cruz, to me, was already in a high-risk category. I would have certainly, you know, predicted regression from last year for him. Just, he's old. <laughs> I guess there's a way you could study it. You know, you not know. many players missing a full season, but you could look at players who were injured and had, you know, partial seasons, 20 games, 30 games, who bounce back, you know, best the next year, younger players or older players. I guess you can't – until you study it, I don't want to give a concrete answer. No, I, I, I don't know, which yeah. is why I don't want to overrate it. But Tristan's point is valid as well. Obviously, there's more risk with a 40-year-old. There's some risk we're I not going to get this trivia question, that's for sure. Let's, to be uh, clear, I, I'm, I think your point is extremely valid here, and it's something that's not being discussed enough in fantasy. I think this could – and it could just be haphazard across the age curve. All right, uh, please uh, remind us what your trivia question was, and Dave's going to answer it with uh, expertise. The active home run leader among players whose father played Major League Baseball. All right, so it can't be Cody Bellinger. So you said Bellinger (laughs) was number four. He's number four. Cody Bellinger was number four. We have mentioned the name of the number two player on this list on this show already. (laughs) But you probably don't remember his father played. I didn't. I'm I'm really disappointed in myself. I am drawing. I mean, like, I'm trying to think of guys who are playing right now that have, but they like Bichette barely played. Yastrzemski, it's not him. Um, who had fathers? Uh, Michael Brantley. Michael Mickey? Brantley's on the list at number five. Yes. Mickey okay, Brantley. so Brantley's father. I remember him playing. In fact, I still sometimes call Michael Brantley Mickey. Um, <laughs> I mean, you remember him, Dave, from the Manners. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Alomar? No, he's not active. Um, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is one you're going to know or you're not going to know because oh. you'll remember his father being a prominent uh, newsworthy mention in another story where this player accomplished something great. And it was at the <laughs> Home Run Derby. So this guy, this guy had a big home run derby, and his father pitched to him. Robbie Cano. Robbie Cano. Oh, I should have gotten that though. I mean, his dad pitched like what one season in the majors. His dad, Jose, barely played. Right. Hey, number right, one, though, Tristan, I have a trivia question for you. I came prepared today. Go for it. Jacob Degrom has a chance at a third straight season with an ERA of two point five or lower. Since 1920, only 27 players have done that three seasons. But two players 
since 1920, two pitchers have six seasons with an ERA of 2.5 or lower. Who are those two starters? Starting have pitchers. Six non-consecutive. This is career. Non-consecutive. Six sub two fifties. I'd have to guess Greg Maddox is one of them. He is one. I would have to guess that Don Carmen, former Philly, is one of them. <laughs> I, I I saw his greatness growing up, and I, I he's a good man. And I Don Carmen was an exceptional starting lefty starting pitcher. I is he one of them, Dave? It is Don not Carmen? Don Carmen. It is not Shane <laughs> Raleigh. It is not Kevin Gross. <laughs> I feel like this is a trap to get me to say Pedro Martinez, but I think I'd go to Koufax before I'd go to Pedro. It, Pedro had five, not him. Koufax had four, but it is somebody from Koufax's era who had six. Interesting. Sub 250. Whitey Ford. <laughs> it is not. Whitey Ford only had three. It's Juan Marichal. And my oh. point he is so underrated as a great yeah. pitcher. You know, you always hear about Koufax and Bob Gibson, and you hear a lot less about Marischal. And he he was in their category. He was That's a great good player. Good question. Yeah, now, Tristan, did you finish with your top five of father's sons, or do you want us to keep guessing? So, oh. so I mentioned number two as we were jumping into the other trivia question was Neil Walker we mentioned before. His father, Tom Walker, played. Oh, I, I never would have got Yeah, I never would have got it. Neil Walker, I mentioned earlier on the show, I, uh, of course. Number okay. three, you probably will also not remember this player's father played. He had 123 uh, career home runs right now. He is a uh, left-handed Dodger. Uh, um, uh, Jock Peterson's father played. Jock Peterson, his father, yeah. Stu Peterson, yeah. Oh, that's a- And by the way, number six on the list is 99. Travis Shaw. His father played? Apparently. Oh, was that Jeff Shaw, the reliever, the save, the closer? Travis Shaw's was Jeff Shaw, correct. How, Jeff Shaw's not that old, is he? Oh, my God. We're old. <laughs> he was in the 90s, yeah. yeah. He's traded at the All-Star break, changed uniforms right before the game. So right. I wanted to do a study on who – so I, I had stats. Our stats group looked this up, and I think there's been 255 father and son combos. Um, and like the Alomars and the Boons, those are counted separately. But I want to know who is better, the fathers or the sons. I didn't research it, although there's, I believe it was 14 fathers are in the Hall of Fame. All that includes Connie Mack, who made it as a manager. And I believe the only sons are Ken Griffey Jr. and Roberto Alomar. Barry Bonds obviously would, would be there if not for other stuff. But so I don't know if. At least based on Hall of Fame, the fathers have been better. I would guess the fathers have been better because some of the sons haven't finished the stories yet, correct? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Bellinger, we don't know how good he's going to be. And Guerrero, Bichette, so on and so on. Did uh, did Cal's father play in the majors? Cal Ripken? I don't no, know. His, his father never played in the majors. Just he just co-managed. Okay. Yeah. Well, th- that was some interesting trivia there. I, I – and and you'll you'll enjoy the Griffey doc. Um, yes, and and people don't remember Ken Griffey Senior was a really good player yeah. for the Reds. Yeah, uh, no, I mean certainly I would say Bobby and Barry were the best father and son combo, and the Griffeys would be a close second. Bobby was probably a little better than than Griffey oh, Senior. Right. Yeah. Um, and then Alomar. I mean, Robbie Alomar is an Hall of Fame. His father was not a like an all-star type player. 
Um, he had a long career. Yeah, Sandy Senior was played a, a long time infielder. No, that's that's interesting. And then I was I've been thinking about like brother combinations as well: the Aaron's, the Boons, the Alomars, um, the Negros. I was watching something I, where Negro also father son combo. Yeah, Lance Negro. Oh, right. That's right. Well, you know, and then there's uh, the great family is the Bells, three one of the three generations. Three generation, yeah. And um, I think it's David Bell's son is in the minors with the Diamondbacks. So they have a chance to be a fourth generation. generation family, which has never happened before. David Bell, the last psycho in the Phillies history, I believe. <laughs> until, oh. they play, until they play again, that's going to stick. Are you going to mention Ron Hayes? <laughs> he doesn't need to be we mentioned on every show. Mentioned. <laughs> I, we don't need to mention him on every show, Dave. I mean, that, that's a little bit too much. Um, okay, uh, what are we doing next? Now we're just kind of wasting time. Let's let's have a couple hash browns here. So, Kyle, please uh, get in here and uh, tell us what the, the Twitter people are asking. I assume it's all clean. What do we got? Always. What else would you expect from Twitter? Matthew wants to know in a redraft shortened season – are you more likely to target a high floor kind of guy or a high ceiling guy? And on that same kind of train of thought, is there such thing as a high floor guy in a third of a season? No, <laughs> right? I mean, what's the floor in a 50-game season? I mean, what's the ceiling? I, 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 it's all guesswork as to who, who plays better in that 50-game stretch. I know, Dave, you've studied this. Guys who have had great 50-game teams and individuals who had great 50-game stretches before. But I'm not sure that's even projectable at all. Is it? No, I don't think so. I mean, the, only, the one thing I've wondered, maybe Tristan, you've looked at this. Is there anything to guys who start cold because the weather's cold? Now they might not have a bad April because they're not playing in 32 degrees in Chicago. But I don't know who those guys are. There's a little bit to that, but it's, you know, you got to pick your names and right. Like the one that comes to mind was Giancarlo Stanton. When he came to the Yankees in the first year is that he was playing in considerably lower average temperatures for the first month that he was in Miami. You got to find very extreme examples. I wouldn't lean too much into that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know how we can answer that. What's next, Kyle? Sean wants to know what non MLB player, You'd most want to see give the sport a try, understanding that he could be coached up by your organization. <laughs> non MLB player. How about Scott Kingery? Why is he in the minors? Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not letting this go. Um, I mean, like LeBron James, that type of guy. I mean, answer to any question for any sport, any athlete to me. If he could play hockey, I'd want to see it. <laughs> Claude Giroux well, playing second base for the Phillies. Uh, Dave, what do you got on this I'll one? I'll jump in only because I helped out um, our NFL team. Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if this counts because he was a very good high school bad, right? baseball player, two-way player, through 90-something, had potential as an outfielder. You know, I'm sure he could have been a, an MLB player if he'd stuck with baseball. Kyler Murray? How about Kyler well, Murray? Yeah. He doesn't count. Yes, what do you mean he doesn't count? He's not an MLB player. Counts. He we counts. don't play baseball. I, I want creativity. I want a LeBron James that I don't even know if he knows how to well, play. Well, listen to this one, Kyle. So Tom Brady was drafted, <laughs> I believe, in the 18th round by the Expos. Well, him well, and Russell Wilson too, right? Like, Wilson was always drafted with the Rangers and stuff. 
Well, he played. Right. Russell Wilson played a couple years in the minors, wasn't any good. So Tom Brady, the Expo GM at the time, was Kevin Malone. You guys remember him? He, yeah. He said this a few years ago that he thought Brady had the potential to be an all-time great catcher. Oh, my God. And then I found another quote from a scout, you know, who scouted him and said the same thing. I think that's something people just say. He was a left-handed hitter, supposedly had power. So how, interesting would, how interesting would that be, though? Like, instead of being a catcher, which gets very little prestige and very little attention, he's the poster boy quarterback that's dating, stood married to supermodels and isn't even the breadwinner in his own house. Like, it's a weird juxtaposition if he plays baseball instead. I'm pretty sure they don't eat bread in that house. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> oh, no. Tom Brady? No. Tom Brady's he not eating any bread in 10 years. Yeah, he, uh, look at that. I don't think so. Um, but part of the problem with Major League Baseball today is the Kyler Murray situation. Why would he want to go to the minor leagues for two years, make no money, be treated like junk, and and then maybe become a star, whereas these guys are stars in the NBA and the NFL right away. So how many great baseball players never became baseball players at all? It's a shame. You know, I wish the, I wish the system would change. That's one of the systems that's not going to change, unfortunately. But a current athlete, I mean – I don't know. Tristan, you got any guesses here? I mean, Colin Murray's obvious. Tom Brady. Yeah, you, used you used Wilson. I actually would like to see him play at some point, just for the fun it, of it. He wasn't that good. Like, Keith Law keeps pointing this out to people who say Russell Wilson could be the starting second baseman in the majors for somebody. He was a, he was not a good prospect at all. I, I don't know I'm why. Not I think any of these players would be good. I don't think Brady would have been good either. But, you know, we're just throwing names. I mean, what would Michael Jordan have done if he had started 10 years earlier? If he had gotten sick of Jerry Krause ten, a decade before, hadn't won any titles, and decided to become a baseball player, you know, maybe he could have been a really good baseball player. Who was, know? The, I mean, who was the guy we were comping based on size? And, and it was one of the Astros from 7980. Enos Cabell. Enos Cabell, oh, yeah. yeah. Enos Cabell, that's right. Yeah, similar size. You know, It was not a power hitter by any means. Nobody right. in the Astros was at the time. You know, that's the other thing. These ballparks, they, I'm watching these old games. I'm watching that Astros Mets 16 inning game in the, in the, in the NLCS. And, and none of those, and Glenn Davis was the only Astro with any power at all. It's just like, what an amazing, I love watching these old games, man. The Astros, Mets score a couple of runs in the top half. Astros come right back. It's one of the greatest games ever. It's just, I guess that it was a Fathers Day. I don't even know what day it is today. It's just that that was that was fun watching that. But the Astros and the Astrodome, it's like totally different baseball. No, I mean, speaking of father-son combos, Jose Cruz Sr., <laughs> right. one of the great yeah. underrated players of the 80s, you know, he might hit 12 home runs a year and 10 of them would be on the road. Yeah. You know, why didn't why didn't baseball think back then that it was important to have a ton of home runs? Like I like didn't people people watch baseball in the 80s okay and we can debate whether they're still watching it now but I was okay with not a lot of home runs to me it was special when Mike Schmidt hit 36 home runs and won the bat and won the home run title that was special it, to now have Max Kepler at 36 home runs and have 30 players hit more is not special to me it's not the same I don't know right no, wait, look, I have my list. Let me pull this up. This is just the guys that were 26 years old last year. 12 guys hit 30 home runs at just age 26. 
So 30 home runs last year, it was – you're right. What happens when 375 guys do it? I'm not saying it's easy to hit 30 home runs, but how many Yeah, how many guys did it across but the isn't it, isn't it easy now to hit 36 home runs? I mean, now it, it kind of is. Eric totally hit 30 home runs last year. You don't remember? Who? You did. <laughs> If they start, if if they start spiking our softballs on a weekly basis, and I'm hitting home runs, I'm not sure I want to play with that. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I got to say with this question, I'm very impressed that nobody's mentioned Tim Tebow yet. Ugh. Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not MLB player, so you know. Well, he's he's still, he's still in their minor league system. Look, really yeah. nice guy. I really like Tim Tebow. I think he's a great per- person. He's just he's not gonna. Well, maybe this year the Mets will promote him. So they- I play. Who knows? You never know. The, the, the other NFL player who was a, a legit baseball prospect was Jameis Winston, who was a reliever at Florida State. Right. Yeah. Um, definitely would have made the majors as a as a reliever if he'd stuck with baseball. But you know, he's made plenty of money and yeah. interceptions aside, he's had a good career so far. Um, he found. Oh, now he's Drew Brees' heir in New Orleans. So. Yeah, we got to start thinking about football. We have a mock draft of football in an hour. So we, I guess we have to cut this short, and Kyle left, so I don't know where he is. But, um, yeah, we've been talking a long time. I like these talks. You know, like we kind of have an idea oh, of what we're doing, and then we go on tangents. Oh, where, oh, where could Kyle be? Yeah, I mean, I think Dave enjoys it as well. Um, Dave with his, his short hair mocking us all. Um, that is all for today's show. Oh, Dave, let me get your thoughts on this movie. So Eight Men Out is the movie for Thursday with our friend June Lee and your friend as well. Um, your thoughts on Eight Men Out. I love the baseball in it. I'm saddened that it happened. But I know now from reading, I think it's on Saber.org, that a lot of it in the book and the movie is just not true. Yeah, so... That big study Saber did came out, what, a couple years ago? Elliot Asanov was the author of Eight Men Out, which came out in the 60s. Um, unfortunately, that book is not the Bible on the Black Sox scandal. So read up on some of the Saber studies. They're going to give you a better story. The movie, it's a really good movie. I think John Sayles was the director um, you know, the baseball is probably the best baseball in any baseball movie, I would dare to say. I think the baseball is very good. Um, and the plot, unfortunately, as we now know, isn't completely accurate. But it's still an enjoyable movie, yeah. and we'll get to that on Thursday. But now that we have your opinion, it, it's it's good. And uh, June will probably watch it an hour before the show like he always does. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, but he does it anyway. That's all for today's show. Thank you so much for listening to Fantasy Focus Baseball. Hopefully there is baseball this season. Everybody can get along, kumbaya and all that. But if not, we'll go as long as they tell us to, and then we'll start with football. I don't know. Uh, for Dave Schoenfield, check out his fine article on ESPN Today. It's leading the site so you know it's good about age peak, age 27 peak players. For Tristan H. Cockroft and his golden locks and Kyle Stoppy, I am Eric Carabell. Bring back Scott Kingery and please have an awesome week.